powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Please, everyone, sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks of BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's Better, H-E-L-P dot com slash Derek Duvall Show. So before we jump into this episode, I want to say a big thank you to my last guest, William Yeski. What a great guest, and I suggest you pick up his book, Damn the Valley, if you have not done so already. If you have not heard our very in-depth interview, I strongly advise you to check it out at the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 214, and we have a powerful episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Michaela Cruz. Now, Michaela is a survivor of the September 11th attacks. She'll be discussing growing up in New York City, and she'll be discussing her ordeal and how she got out of the soft tower of the World Trade Center alive. She'll also be discussing how she dealt with the tragedy over the years. Michaela is also a very accomplished author, having written the book Pursuing Your Destiny, How to Overcome Adversity and Achieve Your Dreams, and is also a popular yoga instructor. So let's get Michaela out here. Duval Nation, please welcome to the show, calling in today from her home in New York City, Michaela Cruz. <laughs> Michaela, hello. Welcome to the Derek of All Show. How is the weather out by you today? It was beautiful today, uh, and surprisingly enough, because we've been experiencing lots of rain in the last five weeks, so it's not it's a nice change from that. Really? Where are you uh, calling in from? New York City. You are in New York City. Okay. All right. Yeah. So with the pandemic now winding down, how was it for you to navigate the COVID-19 world? The COVID-19 world actually changed my, my perception about my health, and only because when I did succumb to COVID, it it changed how I thought of my workout routine because my lung collapsed and I had a heart dysfunction from it. So from running six miles a day, I couldn't run 15 feet, but I was able to heal in a way that I, I couldn't run, but my yoga teaching business went through the roof because people wanted to have yoga classes at home. So my business went up 300% revenue because I was able to teach from home and still, still survive financially from that. Amazing. Well, are you recovered now? You feeling much better? I'm about ninety uh, percent capacity. I was able to run my first five k a few months ago, so that was a good that was a good sign that I was getting there. All right, excellent, excellent. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born, and what was it like to grow up there? Yeah, so I was born in New York City, born and raised. After September 11th, though, I moved to Florida and then California, and then Texas, and then back to New York. What's it like to grow up in New York City? Loud, 
creative, eclectic, eccentric. If you're not from here, a lot of people love to visit, but in terms of actually living here, it's an acquired taste. If you love culture, that's this is where to be. If, if you love excitement, of course, this is where, but your serenity comes from within. So unless you understand that, New York is, is definitely an acquired taste. <laughs> I read somewhere once that someone said that New York City is a place you can live and you every day you live there you could do something new. Is that would you agree to that assessment? Absolutely. But New York City is is a small little world where you can run into someone within the eight million people that live there, you could still run into someone that you know. Really? Crazy. Yes. Amazing, amazing. Yes. So what were your earliest career aspirations? finance. And that was basically from my dad. My dad was a stockbroker and he told me from the very beginning that I was going to go into finance. And so I went on a field trip when I was 13 and I told my my classmates, I said, I'm going to be working here. And they said, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm going to be working in the New York Stock Exchange. And that's what I did. I worked for JP Morgan as an intern when I was 19. So mm. All right. favorite memories from New York University. Yes. A lot of creatives. I went there for uh, for graphic design and uh, a lot of creatives, a lot of people that I didn't get along with only because they had different aspirations. I wanted to do, I wanted to go into marketing, but still in investment management, doing, cre doing PowerPoint presentations. Like I didn't have anything to do with their, with the art side. <laughs> right. But what led you to the center of advanced legal studies? I, law was always something I was interested in. When I was 14, a friend of mine got a parking ticket. He said, why don't you come with me to court to, to just support me? I was like, sure. So I met him at the courthouse. I didn't realize that I was actually in civil court, not traffic court. So I stayed there watching these cases. And I realized, wait a minute, I can do this. I can be in court. I can stand in front of the judge. And then uh, my mom had a dispute with a vendor. And I had to sit, sit up for her in court. It was a mediation. And I realized I... I can definitely go into law. So that's what I did. All right. Which brings us to your tenure with the Fiduciary Trust Company. When did you start to work there and what was your position? When when I started in 1999, I was an executive assistant to portfolio managers. And then when they realized that I had experience with Reuters and a different um, different stock portfolio platforms, I became an investment associate. And I was in that position for a year. And then I moved to marketing where I was still in investment management, but on the marketing side. Hmm. Uh, we're going to go ahead and discuss that, you know, that faithful morning in a few, but for, before we do describe for my listeners, you know, what is it like to go work at the South tower of the world trade center? It was depending on the day. It was fine. We, we always knew that, you know, there were going to be thousands of people who were going to work at the same time every day. So we were used to the crowds of people. Uh, we were used to, you know, if we if we had a stain on our shirt, let's say we just go right into the mall in the lobby. It was very it was the most convenient place to work. If you want a cup of coffee, great cup of coffee it was in the lobby. Everything was right there at our fingertips. The only thing is that at lunchtime, it was uh, pretty brutal with the tourists. <laughs> <laughs> so you had about 10,000 more people coming in. And that was kind of it, it was a little frustrating, but for the most part, it was a great experience. Do you ever get to go to Windows of the World? Yes. So when I was working there, my best friend, who was also, was also working in the World Trade Center, she and I would go dancing 
on Friday nights and hang out and have a little cocktail and have a great time there. What was it like? I never, I never actually ever get to go to Windows of the World. What, what, describe what Windows of the World was like. The view was spectacular. You had the entire view of New York City, New Jersey, Brooklyn, even Connecticut sometimes, if you look at these different angles. But the, the service was impeccable. The restaurant was amazing. The decor was amazing. Everything about it was just magical. Really? That's amazing. All right. So describe the morning of September 11th prior to the attack. The Prior to the attack, I was going there. I was actually not supposed to be there until 9.15. I was asked to go there uh, to do a presentation for a client. And so I arrived at 8.30. When I got to my desk, I just smelled coffee. And that just kind of propelled me, okay, this is my day. I have to get to work. And one of a guy that I used to date called me at about four eight forty and trying to get a gauge of how I was feeling. And I said, well, I can't talk right now. I have to get to work. And as soon as I hung up the phone is when I heard uh, the roar of an airplane engine getting closer and closer and closer until it smashed into something. The boom hit our building and the windows in my office shattered. And so I grabbed my briefcase, my purse, I ran towards the stairs. My coworker, Lori, pulled me out of the stairs, literally pulled me out of the stairs and said, you have to come into the elevator. I argued with her. She said, no, get into the elevator. Did anybody, you didn't go to the window and see what was going on in Tower One? No, I I couldn't get too close to the window because everything shattered. The wind was coming in. Mm-hmm. I I was I felt like I was basically between the, the the building and the and the ground. I didn't. It was too difficult to see. Fair enough. Talk us through the next few moments. You know what prompted you to move to those elevators? You know was it? You know you said your friend grabbed you. You know what prompted you to get you get into that elevator? Because someone from the other side of the building, uh, other side of the floor, said a tower. The uh, plane just hit tower one. He said, I think a plane hit Tower One. And immediately I thought of a conversation that I had with my mom when I first knew that I got that job. She said, the towers are twin. So whatever happens to Tower One is going to happen to Tower Two. So just remember that. Hmm. What was going on in the 78th floor, you know, which is the sky lobby for South Tower? The sky the sky lobby was in complete chaos. People were shoving, pushing them, pushing into the elevators. And that was when a woman just out of the blue said, I cannot have anybody else come in here. You're crushing us. You have to wait for another elevator. So it was frantic. People were trying to get into the elevators. And unfortunately, not all of them got in. Hmm. That's crazy. What was the atmosphere in the elevator, you know, like on that descent to the ground floor lobby? People were crying, shaking. They, uh, I was shaking and I, looked at my coworker and I I was going to ask her, are we dead? Because I really didn't, I didn't know if we were dead or alive. I thought we were just kind of just drifting. And the the ride usually, seemed, it's so quick, but it seemed like it took forever. And then we got into the lobby. And then I called my manager and I said, what am I supposed to do? And she said, do not go back, go home, go home. Were you in the tower when United 175 hit the building? No, I was walking out. I was walking out of the lobby and that's when another roar of an airplane engine, I heard it and then boom. And then somebody knocked me to the ground and I fell underneath uh, one of those aluminum barricades 
And my coworker, Andrew, pulled me up and he said, we have to go. And in the meantime, I was fixated on the building because I saw people start to jump from the North Tower. So I, I froze and he said, we have to go, we have to go before it gets really bad. And then we went to the South Street Seaport to wait for whatever we didn't know. Hmm. How many people did you see jump out of the building? Uh, I I believe about three, three, four, I think four. That's horrible. Mm. That stays with you. What? Where, where were you heading for safety? You said the Southport Sea Village? Yeah, so the South Street Seaport was about four blocks away. And we thought that that would be the best place to be out of the chaos, out of the pretty much watching what's what's going on with the people jumping and everything else. What do you remember when you saw the building collapse? When the building started to collapse, I actually thought the building was going to collapse on us. I thought the building was going to just like topple over. So then people were running towards the river because that's what they, and I looked and I, I thought maybe that would be the best thing to do. And then we started to see the debris start coming and we, we just started to walk. We didn't even like run. We were in such shock that most of us were just walking as the debris started coming in, covered in soot. We were just, we just kept walking. Hmm. How far were you away from when the the building came down? Four blocks. Four blocks. Mm-hmm. Crazy. How long did it take you to get in touch with your family? I didn't get in touch with my family until I got to my mother's house, which was hours later. My brother was home. He hugged me. And then 15 minutes later, my mom showed up and my my ex-boyfriend, I think, contacted my dad to let him know that I'm okay. I got out of the building. So, but my mother and my brother did not know if I was dead or alive. Have you had any health problems from inhaling any of the debris from the collapse? Uh, two days later, no, it was actually the day after I went to take a shower in my mother's house. And afterwards I started coughing up blood. And I went to the doctor immediately and he said, well, what is this? Like, were you coughing up blood before? I said, no, but I was in the World Trade Center. And then he said, okay. He said, basically, you're gonna have to let it all come out. You can't, there's nothing we can do about that. So I coughed up blood for another two weeks and then it went away. Okay, Devon Nation, we are going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we'll be right back with the conclusion of this powerful interview with Michaela Cruz. Make sure you take this time to refresh that drink and take this time to pay attention to a few friends of my show. And on that note, we'll be right back. Hello, Devon Nation, Derek Duvall here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek Duvall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. 
You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. Hey, it's Michelle Fabre, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can hear my brand new single, I'm All That I Need, on all streaming platforms right now. This is Marielle Sanji, the author of The Absinthe Frappe from LSU Press. Have you ever wondered about the mysteries of absinthe? The spirit is packed with history, and in my book, I explore the myths and facts behind this elusive liquor. What is it about absinthe that appealed to artists like Vincent van Gogh? How did the absinthe frappe cocktail take the country by storm in the 19th century? Why was absinthe banned? And how were the restrictions on absinthe lifted? Dive into the world of absinthe in the absinthe frappe, available wherever you prefer to buy your books. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Hey there, this is Frankie Ray, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. My latest single, Over Now, is available on all streaming platforms. Hope you like it. everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 214 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with September 11th survivor, author, and yoga instructor, Michaela Cruz. You know, moving on, you know, years later, you know, what does 9-11 do to you on a psychological level? And have you, how have you been able to deal with it over the years? The only way that I've been able to deal with things, uh, triggers, uh, trauma is pretty much meditation because meditation keeps me in the present moment. It does not 
It does not take me back to a place where it's there's pain or suffering and it doesn't make, it doesn't allow me to look in the future to see what else I'm going to have to deal with, with this, because living in New York city, when I have family come in, they want to look at, you know, they want to see the memorial, they want to, and it, the smell it's, there's a certain smell that comes with, you know, burning rubber or just people screaming in the street. Something like that is actually a trigger for me. Hmm. You know, that was the next question, you know, is, you know, living in New York City and especially being such a, you know, key figure now in such a huge disaster. What were your thoughts on the finished product of the World Trade Center Memorial? I think they did a beautiful job. I think that it shows the reality of it. There is a hole and it represents a hole in our hearts from this whole tragedy. And the water trickling represents rebirth and it represents healing and the names that are that are imprinted, everything about it is just so beautiful. You don't go do you, you don't go down there unless like maybe families in town or something like that. Right, unless families down there. Or when I ran the five k, I run the, I did the five k for the nine eleven memorial to raise funds. Mm-hmm. So that was a time that I was there because it starts and ends right at the memorial. Okay, you have uh, you have coworkers names on the on the on the memorial. Yes, yes. One one in particular is a good friend of mine, Ryan Fitzgerald, and he was, uh, yeah, he was one of my good friends. You've made quite a unique living as a keynote speaker and a celebrated author. You know, I want to talk to you about your speaking engagements. For my listeners who don't know, what sort of talks do you give and, you know, what sort of ideas and topics do you promote and cover? A lot of the topics that I cover, because a lot of people think, okay, well, she's a 9-11 survivor, so there has to be something that has to do with that. And what I talk about is what I did and how I felt before the tragedy. What what did I do? Did I experience trauma that I had to heal from before 9-11? Well, of course, there was something that I went through that was extremely dramatic, and that actually propelled me to understand why there is pain on 9-11 and how I can move forward from that. And that's what I talk about. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then that brings me to what I want to talk about next is your you your book that you wrote, Pursuing Your Destiny, How to Overcome Adversity and Achieve Your Dreams, which is first off a great title for a book. Thank you. What, what inspired you to write this book? It wasn't actually my idea. Um, my, my ex-husband, who was the co-author, said, you know, I think your story needs to be in a book. And his story with my story became the book. And it starts out as my with my experience on 9-11, personal experience, but that's it. Because my life started a long time before that happened. And that's why I was saying the experiences that I had before then helped me get through that tragedy. Hmm. What's the reception of the book been like? It's, it's had a lot of great reviews. It's been on the media quite a few times. Um, it's, it's helped a lot of people, not only with 9-11, but people who have suffered extremely horrible tragedies in life. Mm, okay. I want to talk to you about your yoga practices. Your Instagram page is very active, and you share your tips, tricks to different poses and such. Where did you get your yoga training, and what about yoga do you enjoy and get so much out of? So yoga was introduced to me when I was four years old. My dad practiced 
rigorously. So I didn't realize though that just by visiting a friend in at her place in Florida, she was asking me to show her a pose and she said, well, you know, you explain that really well. Why don't you become a teacher? And so when I became a teacher in Florida, I realized that this is a way for me to give a part of myself a service, karma, you know, pay off my karma by teaching others. And so yoga has been an extremely, it's, it's a gift that I can not only give to myself, but to others when I teach. Okay. What is it like to have Oprah use one of your quotes for her 21 day meditation series? It was a pretty, it was a shock because basically that quote came out in 2008 and it was picked up for eight years later. And I'm glad that it was a quote that was not, it was not well taken on, on Twitter. It was, it was retweeted a few times, but to see that shared with 13.3 million people, that was surreal. <laughs> surreal to say the least. Oh man, I, I, I couldn't even imagine it. I, I bet. What, what was your emotion when you saw that you were just, was it like a big squeal or you just completely like, wow. Well, I didn't see it because one of my friends from high school, she messaged me on Facebook and she said, is this you? And I said, yeah. She goes, you're featured on Oprah. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I had to, I had to sit down. I had to sit down <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> Pierre de Coubertin said the most important thing in life is not the triumph, but the struggle. I feel like you might have a great answer to this question, but you get a chance to talk to your younger self. What would you say to her? That nothing Nothing is worse than not being your authentic self. That's a good answer. So what's next for Michaela? Next book. Ooh. Next book. So from years of journaling and looking back on my speeches and looking back on the questions that people from the military have asked me over the years, as well as people who have survived domestic violence, I know that I've already I already have twenty thousand words for this book, but looking in this journal, I see that I have the other twenty thousand. Okay, when can we expect that book? I'm hoping next fall. Okay, well, when you get it ready to go, you come back on my show and you talk about it. Okay, I definitely will. Okay, as we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question, Michaela. What do you like to do for fun? How do you like to relax? And you can't use yes. yoga. Dance. Dance. Absolutely. Dance my butt off. What kind of dance Absolutely. do you like? I love uh, club music. Okay. I love, I love club music. I'm a club girl. You okay. know, so I lived in the clubs back when I was, you know, in my 20s. So it's my life. Is it still pretty good clubbing in uh, New York City? Not that I know. There's one in Brooklyn that's pretty good, but I don't normally visit club like i don't usually go to clubs anymore i just have my own my own dance floor here in my, in my <laughs> house <laughs> nice nice and good speakers <laughs> <laughs> all right what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online uh through instagram follow me on instagram that's where i have uh, my business contact information so you can contact me there what's your handle uh michaela m-i-k-a-i-l-a underscore n-y-c Okay. Michaela, I am my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would want to say to the people of earth? 
that we all have a gift and it's up to us to know what that is and use it to our abilities. Yeah. Mikhail, you have turned tragedy into triumph and anybody who shared your tragedy on September 11th will be proud of what you've done with your life. Thanks for coming on the show today. This has been a real honor for me. Thank you so much, Derek. And just like that, Deval Nation, we come to the end of episode 214. I want to thank Michaela for taking the time out of her very busy schedule to speak with me. She is an absolute angel and one lovely lady. I highly advise you to follow her on Instagram as she posts great yoga advice and lots of inspirational content. Michaela, you are welcome back on my show anytime. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. We drop our episodes on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for those episodes to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the Amazing Tea Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there. With everything without a logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs, plus with some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, go to the banner on the left that says Merch, click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tea Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, the nominees for the Golden Globes were announced this week. I am convinced Oppenheimer is going to sweep the awards it's nominated for, but there are some tough categories this year. Should be a fun award season to watch. Nostar, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.